Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is in Luke 4, Temptations Breakdown Part 2. Luke 4, we were there last time, we're going to be there this time, and next time looking at this, uh, the temptation of Christ. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be all the way down through verse 8 this morning. Luke 4, verses 1 through 8, it says, And Jesus... Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For forty days he was tempted by the devil and ate nothing during those days. When they had ended, he became hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Notice, just very short and sweet, right? Something learned there. He led him up and showed him all the nations of the world. So he's now taking Jesus up on this high mountain. In a moment, it says, he shows him this. The devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, literally bow down, it shall be yours. Jesus answered and said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so we're here taking our second shot at these, uh, the temptations of Christ, or actually third, but more in the details of the exact temptation themselves. And we saw that these temptations are unique to him. Um, in as much as it's not very tempting for us to turn a stone into bread since you can't already do that anyhow. Um, he's not going to come at you with that specific temptation, but it's the pattern, it's the pull, it's the, the genre, if you will, it's the style of temptation that's coming along that we are going to definitely see. And we're given these three, like I said, I think the Holy Spirit highlights these three. He's been 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. Why has he pulled his three out? Because these are important. And not to say that all the temptations are, but these somehow are classes that, that, if you will, settle down over us in a multitude of ways. And so we're getting into them in depth because we want to know what these are so that we can be prepared as best we can. We saw several things last time, not the least of which was the fact that Jesus does some things here that you ought to avoid. And we always be a follower of Christ with exceptions. This is an exception. Do not do what he does here. He puts himself in a very, very, the worst situation possible as far as temptations go. Number one, he, he, he goes out after, after this spiritual high experience of being baptized and 30 years of anonymity and uh, is now announced publicly and goes straight from that into temptation. And, and let me just say this to you, unless you're Jesus and you're not, don't do that. You better watch yourself when things are coming up roses. Call somebody and say, I need your help. And they say, what's wrong? I thought everything was coming up rose in your life. Yeah, that's the problem, you see. That's my problem. My problem is, is I can't think of a thing wrong. So I really need you to guard me. I need you to help me. I need you to, to, to pray for me, uh, realizing your vulnerabilities, submitting yourself in humility. We talked about that to the kids. So incredibly important. What an incredible player is humility in your ability to face temptation? Because if you go into it in any other way, you're done. Humility is so key. Humble yourselves. Uh, the devil would love to make you think that you're smart. And so he's going to get you to talk to him. He's going to get you caught up in that. I'm going to reason through this. I'm going to smart my way through this. You're toast if you do that. He's way smarter. You've got a wolf and a sheep. Who's going to win in the smarts? 
You're not the wolf. You're toast. You forget that. So, so he, he draws, he tries to draw us in. And again, humility is key to all these. Every one of them, humility is key. So the second thing Jesus does that you ought not do, he allows himself to become physically weak. And of course, that's not necessarily a vote we get, whether we get sick or not, or whether we go through emotional turmoil or not. But it is a vote for us to say that when we are in those things, we're vulnerable. I said last time, you shouldn't make, when you're in a vulnerable physical, physically or emotionally, don't make any decisions other than where you're going to eat that afternoon. Make no other decisions. Because you're vulnerable, you, you can call people into your life. Please help me. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm having a physical problem. I'm having an emotional problem. Something's going on. It's okay. We need to lean on each other. Which brings us to our third point. Jesus did all this by himself. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Do not do what he did. You're going to charge the hell with a water pistol like we said last time? You're going to get it. And it's not going to be good. Don't do anything by yourself. You always... Sheep have strength in numbers. Stick together. You're not a part of a church. You need to be a part of a church. You're not a part of a church from where you're from. Join this church. But be somewhere where you can be together with believers consistently. And especially on the Sundays when you think you don't need to be there. That's the Sunday you need to be there. You're going to sit at home while we're up here and the devil's going to be chewing your ear off over there. Uh Uh-uh. Be together. Church gets together. You get together. Church has Bible study. You be in that Bible study. Oh, well, they don't. I know more than they do. Well, guess what? Maybe so. Maybe we need your gift there then. But you got to be there for it to work, right? So, so he allowed himself to be physically weak. He allowed himself to be by himself. Do not do those things. You are not Jesus. So we saw last time also, and this is important for these, all three of these temptations, the devil starts each one of them by saying, if you are the Son of God. And we saw that's uh, sort of a, because of the way we hear it, uh, sort of a corrupted interpretation. It, he's not saying, it could, be, could it be possible, or maybe you aren't. He's actually saying, since you are. In light of the fact that you are, it's the best way to hear it, actually, the, the Greek, uh, the force of it. He's not questioning at all that he's the son of God. If nothing else, just simply look at the fact he's tempting him to turn a stone into bread. That's a God thing. You can't do that. That's manipulating atomic and subatomic particles. You're not capable of that. I mean, that's God. So it's assumed in these statements, like I said, this temptation we're going to see just now coming up is going to be one that only Jesus, he's not going to be coming to you and offering you the whole world. <laughs> Sorry. But he can do that to God's son because that's what he is. Never a question that he was God's son. So the temptation we saw last time, temptation number one, turn these stones into bread uh, as opposed to what some may think. It's not a temptation to show off. Who was he showing off to? Just him and the devil. There's no show off here. It's not a matter of him meeting an unnecessary need. I mean, 40 days... That's almost six weeks with no food. And it's not a sin to eat, is it? Aren't you all going here as soon as I shut up? Are you going to go somewhere? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. God created us that way. So, so, so the sin to meet one's own needs, there's nothing wrong with that. What he's trying to do, though, is he's trying to get Jesus to back up on something that he's already, a decision he's already made, which as we've seen several times back. Jesus willingly restricted his independent use of his deity. That's what's contained in the part and parcel where he says he considered equality, didn't consider equality God something to be grasped, but instead humbled himself. He set aside his independent use of his own deity, his own power, omniscience, omnipresence, all that. And he submitted himself, as it says here, notice what he was led in, into by the Holy Spirit. Why does he need the filling of the Holy Spirit? And I know why I do, and I know why you do, but why does Jesus need the filling of the Holy Spirit? Isn't he in every essence the Holy Spirit? Yes, certainly. But in his humanity, in his 33 years, he set aside the independent use of his deity. He became just like you 
and just like me. So what we see here, here is a real, Jesus has always been a real man, but who has set aside what it means to be the son of God in the use of his power, that is, always God, all the way through. But set aside the use of it and became just like us. He doesn't have a reserve of some other omnipotence to draw on. It's just nothing but the Holy Spirit and the will of the Father. And so he's our example in every way of how to handle these temptations. And Satan is trying to get him to back up on that. But that's why he says here in Matthew uh, 4.34, Jesus um, says, you know, it's, it, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. He's living off of, he's, I'm living off of doing the will of God. I'm not eating bread. I'm not saying he didn't eat, but he says, you have to understand, that's, that's why I'm here speaking to the disciples there, but that's why he answers the way he does here. Jesus could do nothing on his own. He took only what the Father brought him. He refused to do anything that the Father didn't already do. He didn't go outside of or beyond or ahead of, and not that he didn't have abilities to do all those things. He had just set those things aside. He only took what the Father brought to him. What would be different about your life if you only took what the Father brought to you? Only the Father's will and what the Spirit empowered. How would life be different for us? Wow. Boggles the mind, doesn't it? What a different world it would be for us. So this classic temptation, he tempts Jesus as he tempts us to take matters into our own hands, doubting God's love and provision. The temptation becomes less powerful, as we saw last time, when you realize what it really takes to live, which is what? Nothing we think of. We don't need to eat to live, do you? Yeah, you do, preacher. No, you don't. No. Breathe. Nope. Water. Nope. What do you need? Like I said, if I got all those things in, in abundance and God says, you're dead, are all those things going to make a difference? Nope. All I need is the will of God. I live strictly upon the will of God. That's what Jesus says, and it's true for us. It's true for him. I live because God determined my life, he says. True for him, true for you. Bread doesn't keep me alive. God does. But because we think, even though we know better, we're tricked into believing it isn't true. We scheme and plan for our own well-being because we don't believe God cares for us because we're being tricked, we're being lied to. We promote ourselves because we don't think God will. Swallow the lie. We consciously or unconsciously assume God either doesn't care or he doesn't know about our needs. And so we launch off into a venture that's not from him. And we get in trouble. We get in trouble. And here's, here's a good verse for us to remember just in conclusion of this thought process. James 4, 13 through 16, verse is, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will do such and such in such and such city. I cut off a part of it there. Yet you do not, do you, know what your life will be like tomorrow? Are you different in any way from the people James is speaking to? No, you'd like to think so. Don't you have plans for tomorrow? Me too, I've got plans for the whole week. Guess what? Do we really know? Here's the first thing you need to decide on. Here's your answer. Yeah, you don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will, number one, you've got to be alive for tomorrow to work for you, don't you? You've got to be alive, number one. And then number two, as God wills, other things will take place. So that's a position of humility of if God so wills, I'll be breathing again tomorrow and we'll just, you know, and we'll go from there as, as God so wills. So, so such, a, such a pivotal thing here that we put ourselves in that position, not because I want to, not because I plan to, not because I'm determined to, not because I have any kind of independent operation of my life. It's only as God wills. 
I don't live by bread, I live by the will of God. Same is true for Jesus, same is true for you. So now we're ready after temptation one. We're ready for temptation two. Here's the temptation, just in broad brush strokes. To distrust God's plan and to take the easy way out. Let's, let's look at it again. We've been a little long in the introduction here, so let's go back to what we read there in verse 5. And so Satan, it says, led him up, says another place, to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. How did he do that? I've got an answer for you. Don't fall asleep. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed to me. Is that true? And I can give it to whomever I want. Is that true? Therefore, if you worship before me, I shall, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Short and sweet answer, over, over, the conversation is over. So there's a temptation to distrust God's plan and to take the easy way out. But let's first get with some of the difficulties we may see here. First of all, how, how does he do this? He takes him up somewhere. It says, like I said, in Matthew, it says he takes him up to a high mountain. But where is there a mountain high enough to see all the nations of the earth? See what I'm saying? It's sort of a, unless you're a flat earther here, we're going to have to ask you to leave because, <laughs> I'm sorry, it kind of goes like this. Where is there a tall enough mountain for that? And then irregardless, if we found a mountain that high, where is the air that clear? And how could you all do that in a, how do you do that? I've got an answer. You trust me, my name, I have Dr. Bill in front of my name because I've got, you know, this incredible. So you ready for the answer? Pray yourself. This is not check your brain at the door, right? It's checking in, right? Check in. We're in gear here. You ready? Here's the answer. How did he show Jesus? All the nations of the earth, from whatever high place this is in a moment of time. The answer is, I don't know. My, I don't know. I, it's one of these places where you have to say, because the Bible says it, that's what happened. I don't know why he does it. God didn't take the time to explain it. So you know what? It's none of your business. It's not. So uh, what I do know about this entity we call the devil, I do know that he travels with ease, even today, between heaven and earth, and he manifests in multiple forms, and he's supernatural. I do know that. I think my, my, in that may be your explanation. But, but, but bigger than that, and more importantly, and I want you to understand this, no matter how much he's capable of, no matter how big he may seem to you, don't get too wild with him. Don't be too wild with the stuff that he can do, because here's what you need to know about the stuff that he can do and the authority that he indeed does have. It's all God's. So there is no ability that isn't God's. If you have ability, it's because God has given it to you, and he's going to take it back, by the way, the second you're dead. There is no stuff that isn't God's. The stuff that you have actually is God's. He's going to take it away the second you're dead. It's all the stuff and all the ability and all the authority belongs to the sovereign of the universe. It isn't anyone else's. If you've got it, it's his, and he's loaned it to you, and he's going to take it back. True for you. True for the devil. True for him. And does he have ability? Yeah, he does, apparently. Does he have authority? We're going to see. Yeah, he does. It's all God's, though. Don't get too wild. Don't get too wild. Think, think of the devil as a, big, as a big bad dog on a chain. So I'm, forgive the, the graphic there. It's the best I can do. 
a big bad dog on a chain, but hear me carefully, he's not some cartoon. He will rip you to shreds. That is his longing desire. One of the reasons why we know that he's on a chain is because you're still here. Because if he was turned loose truly, mm -mm, no. He'd kill us all. That's his longing desire. So here's a question that's raised in that. Why doesn't God just get rid of him? We've got him on a chain. Why not just choke him? Well, because God has a purpose for him. Just a broad parameters here. God has a purpose for Satan. And that purpose is for him still to exist. And what all those purposes are, I don't know. But I can tell you the main purpose is because there has to be a consequences, consequence for our decisions to disown God and his plans and distrust his way. And so we, we gave up on the father of light and his word. And so what do we get as a default? A dark Lord. And hear me carefully. He is a Lord. Little L. But he's Lord of this place. He's Lord. Not Island Baptist Church, but everything outside those walls. Okay? <laughs> Jesus is Lord here, but... He's, there is pockets of the kingdom of God, if you will, where Jesus reigns, but he reigns in the hearts of believers, and hopefully you're, you're one of those. But let me tell you something, the devil reigns everywhere else, and he's not fun. Whether, whether, whether you like it or not, the Bible is very clear on this topic, and here's just a couple of three places here in John chapter 12, verse 31, John chapter 14, verse 30, John 16, verse 11. In all three cases, Jesus speaking refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. He doesn't say the so-called ruler. He just says flat out. He is. It also says in 1 John 5, 19, John double downs on what Jesus says. But we know that the we are of God. You know that, right? Do you know this? And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The word Greek literally means the lap. If it's in your lap, you've got control of it. You can manipulate, do whatever you want to with it. So, 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 yeah, he does have great authority. He is a, a big bad dog, if you will, but he is not free to roam. He is on a chain. Whatever authority he has, whatever position he has, it is from God. It is from God. Don't have your, this idea that somehow Satan and God are in a war. They're not in a war. I'm not saying that God is in favor or is responsible for anything that Satan does, but you understand, as soon as God picks up a stick, that dog dies. There's no war. There's no equality. He, he's, he's like us. He's created. What he has has been given to him. It's going to be taken from him eventually, but he exists because there, among other things, there has to be a consequence for our decisions. And that's what he is. He's the consequence he exists, and his, his work and these temptations exist as a, as a consequence. It really does. So he's this big, bad dog, but he's not free to do whatever he wants to. He's only doing what God allows him to. Backing up on the verse we saw there in, in uh, 1 John 5, uh, verse 18, notice what this says. And we know that everyone who has been born of God, is that you? So you've got to come to God through his son Jesus, having trusted that his shed blood on the cross is your only answer to cleanse you from sin and make you right with God. And in that process, God through his Holy Spirit births you again. It's not a Baptist thing. We're in the Baptist church. There's weirdos over there. Well, yeah, there are. This is not a weird doctrine, all right? Straight out of the Bible. 
You have to have trusted Christ that he births you again into a new kingdom, a sinless existence as far as the Father is concerned, which is what this is concerned about. We know everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he, that is capital H, speaking of God's Son, who was born of God, right, born from the dead, resurrected, protects him, that one who has been born of God. The evil one doesn't touch him. There's our point of interest. The evil one does not touch him. There is a length of chain this devil is on and only got so many links. And all you need to do is stay outside of that ark. You ever seen a dog chained up with a spike? Let's go back to that picture. He can only go to the end of that length. He can't go past it. Now, if you're foolish enough to get within the ark of that chain, you're in trouble. So all you got to do simply to stay away from the devil is stay out of his reach. Isn't that simple enough? So no, we're going to never have problems with him again, right? Thank you, Pastor Bill. I'll send you a bill. Don't worry. <laughs> Listen, it's true, though. It is true. As believers, we have two extremes we need to avoid. Number one, thinking or overestimating what he's capable of doing. Again, he's big and nasty, but there's just so many links in this chain. He cannot go past them. He's limited. He doesn't have free operating rights to do whatever he wants to do he's not sovereign there's only one of those and it's not him second thing we need to do first of all not overestimate not underestimate him yeah there are links in his chain and yeah the 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 one who was born of god is protected by ultimately the one who was born from the dead jesus christ himself but listen unless you get inside that chain because he's not a cartoon sorry He's real thing. He's real thing. He's he means business. And he'll tell you all kinds of things to draw you within the arc of his chain. It's fun in here. It's easy in here. Uh, you'll be king in here. You can do whatever you want in here. And so when he gives you temptation, he's just trying to pull you in his domain. And if he gets you there, it's not, you know, just because it says that Jesus protects us from the evil one doesn't mean you can sin with impunity. You get within the length of his chain, he's going to eat you up. I mean, the application ultimately is the protection from eternity, but, but listen, in time, you get in within that, that, that ark, you're going to get it. So stay outside of his reach. Easier said than done, isn't it? Unfortunately so. So let's go back to what we're talking about. So can the devil really do this? Can he really offer these, does he really have this authority? And we made that clear there three different times. He calls him the ruler of this world. Uh, the, the whole world is in the lap of the evil one, it says there in 1 John 5, 19. I mean, you can't miss that. So the answer of, does he have the authority over all the world? Yes. Yes, he does. So that part of what he says to Jesus is not a lie. Like we talked about last time, part of his temptation is he's going to be blended with the truth. That's what makes you, that's what catches you. Well, that's true. And since you're so focused on that, he, starts throw, he throws in a hook. I mean, it's a fishing bait, right? It looks like something you can eat, but it's got a hook in it. He's trying to catch you. So yeah, there's a truth, it looks right, but then there's something else there that isn't right, and that's true not only for you, but also as we're going to see here for Jesus. So he says, I have all this authority, and I can give it to whomever I want. That is not true. He's not sovereign. He's a liar. He does have that authority, but he, he, says, he says, I have the lease on this. I can sublet it to whoever I want. Um, no. No, he can't. The Bible's real clear on this. 
Acts 17, 26, notice what it says about God. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their, God did, their appointed times, their boundaries, their habitations. The, wor- the world as it currently, currently exists, including the leaders of it, are appointed by God, not by Satan. Never have been. Never have. Now, I know some of those leaders and some of those people and some of those politicians you think are inspired by the devil, and I don't disagree with that. But I'm saying they were, they're where they are because God has allowed them to be there for whatever decisions he's got, and God is sovereign of those things, and we need to be cool with that. But, but understand. And then ultimately, let me notice what we don't want to move on until we made this point. Daniel 4, 17. The Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind, that's everything, and bestows it on whom he wishes. So the devil cannot sublet it to whoever he wants. No, he can't. Doesn't stop him from lying about it, does it? So he throws the truth. Yes, I have authority, but I can give it to him where I want. No, you can't. No, you can't. So the next thing here, the point that I want to make, and it's the final point, because for the sake of time, holy cow, Pastor, I'm seeing 20 minutes on a point. No, I'm, we're going to get out of here early. So sit tight. Jesus, it's very important here. There's several inconsistencies with what Satan says here. Jesus doesn't take him to task on all those things. I think it's very instructive. I want you to pay careful attention. You're asleep now, drink the rest of your coffee, wake up. Here we go. This is one you don't hear taught. I haven't. But I, I see it more and more as I look into this, as I feel God's teaching me and, and speaking to me. I find the same thing as those who are, who are victorious over the devil, and especially Jesus in our story, in our, in our thing here. He, he does it because he does it because he doesn't enter into a dialogue with the enemy. He doesn't enter into negotiations with it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to, to dissect the conversation. He just hits on a single thing. This is wrong because the Word of God says it is over. No more conversation. Done. These are very short, very sweet. The devil makes an offer. Jesus makes a counter. Strictly the Word of God. He doesn't go on to other things. Like all these things I've been putting up on the screen. Don't you think Jesus knew those things? Well, it says this about you, but it doesn't say this is true about you. So, uh-uh. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that, and could he? Could he have done that? He's the son of God. Well, if anybody can sit down and give the devil a lecture and tell him, call him a big liar, it's certainly Jesus, but he doesn't do that. Again, again, I don't think, not because he couldn't, because he's setting example for us. Well, we got no business in that realm whatsoever. No business messing with him, because you're underestimating him if you think you can enter into a conversation or somehow uh, talk him down. Boy, are you in trouble. I put a, I, I, okay. So I, I, put a, I put a wolf and I put a sheep in the same pen to have a conversation. How's it going to go? Yep. Dinner's going to be eating lamb that night. I mean, the, the wolf's going to be eating lamb that night, isn't he? Just say no. That's all that Jesus does. He doesn't monologue. He doesn't dialogue. He just simply says, you said this. This is what the Word of God says. Over. Nothing more. Straight up. He doesn't engage him. He doesn't try to match which with him. Couldn't he have done that? Some of us that wished he would have. Me, for instance. Let him have it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, not only does it not do it here, he doesn't do it anywhere. He just doesn't. Doesn't engage him. He just simply says, this is what it says, you're out. He gives him the verdict and it's over. He doesn't fight him. He doesn't take him on in any way. He doesn't do it anywhere else. And I want you with that in mind to compare the way Jesus handles the devil, the way Eve, our first temptress, the, one, the first one to be tempted, 
male, female in the whole Bible. Look at what happens to her. Notice, first of all, how long Jesus' conversation was with the devil. The devil says this, Jesus says one sentence, over. Look at her. Woo, she's not even finished. The half the chapter is her conversation with the devil. Uh-oh, I've got a sheep having a conversation with a wolf. She's toast, right? Don't need to know anything else, but look at the details. So, so it says, and the serpent said to the woman, indeed has God said you shall not eat from any tree. Of course he hadn't said that. He's just throwing that out there to get her to move. He's just trying to get her to say, wait a minute. That's what he's after trying to get you to do. He wants you to think. And, let, and no offense, but you're no good when you're thinking. <laughs> no good. No good. Because you started off with a, with a wrong supposition. With it. What's going on between your ears matters. And it does not. What matters is what's in here, guys. I know what this says. Not I know anything. You're toast if you think you do. The woman said to the serpent, from, notice she starts monologuing. She's going to lecture the devil. Mm-mm. The woman says to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it or touch it. He didn't say that. She has that. So here we go. And, or you will die. And so now, now she accepts a rebuttal from him. She should have just said, nope, sorry, over. That's not true. We're out, and he should have, she should have said it with the next one. You surely will not die. God said most plainly that they would. Should have been done right there, but no. He goes on, for, for God knows, he continues to get to talk, that in the day that you eat from the, your eyes will be opened, uh, you will be like God, they already were. You know, good and evil, they already did. It's a total lie, it's a total bunk. And then she goes back and starts mulling it over. Well, maybe this is true. Maybe God is. Maybe I should. Maybe I've lose. And by the, by the way, in all defense of women, now she's the first one, and the Bible says very clearly the woman was deceived. It says Adam was not deceived. Why does it say that? Because he's just a bonehead. She offers him the fruit, and he's just like, okay. No conversation at all. No rebuttal in defense of all women. Just a total knucklehead. He was not deceived at all. It says that. It's not me. I'm not just saying that. He was not deceived at all. It truly was. So it, 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 at least at the point where she says, where he says, you surely will not die, she should have said, God said we would, bye. End of conversation. No dialogue. No monologue. No let me instruct the devil about how he ought to think right, as she's trying to say, do there and add stuff to it. Don't linger. Listen, when he's coming at you or he's got you, don't mull it over. Don't give him chance to, to give you another rendition of how it could work in your brain and how it's going to be great when you come to his side and when he pulls you within the arc of his chain. As soon as one thing's wrong, you're out. Follow the example of Jesus. Short and sweet. Over. Done. I had a, uh, my brother and I had, um, my, I have a twin, identical twin brother. We were raised in the woods in East Texas outside of a small town of about 8,000 people. We were raised out in the county. My parents moved out into the county area where you live on a septic tank, you know, and your water came from a well and all that stuff. And everybody lived on uh, large track, larger tracts of land, not large, three or four acres, five or six acres. My parents had an acre uh, covered with trees. Um, we shot guns in the yard. I mean, that kind of place. Some of you are from places like that. Wasn't the city. Let's just say that. We never, among other things, um, never had anyone ever come to our door that we didn't know was coming. You just didn't. didn't. No salesman. You can go out there. There's nothing to buy. I guess nothing to sell. I don't know. They stayed in the city, the, the big city of 8,000 people. Uh, uh, we didn't get trick-or-treaters. 
man, when the sun went down, I mean, it was a spooky place. You got rednecks like me walking around in the dark with guns, probably. And so it just wasn't a place to go with your kids. We, we, uh, we were raised there, 18, graduated from high school in 1985, went off to a place called Texas A&M University in, in College Station to the big city, 25,000 people. It's a thriving metroplex, you know. Three quarters of those people are students in that town by the time, by, at that time. So we moved there. My parents were strapped. I mean, they had my brother and I, my, my, my mom and dad both had full-time jobs, and we had a relatively decent middle-income family kind of situation. But when you turn that into sending two at the same time to college, paying college tuition, books, housing, you know, food, and that kind of thing, it, my dad said, we just, your mother and I just weren't sure how we were going to do it. And came through with no debt, you know, in the end. But nonetheless, they just were not sure going into it how they were going to do, do that. We originally wanted to go to Baylor University, which, by God's grace, we did not do that. And um, where's, Jimmy Park? where's Jimmy Parker and Jane? They were... Now, they couldn't afford it. It was private tuition. I mean, private school, private Baptist school, you couldn't do it. It's just, just no way. Like I said, my dad said, we're just not even sure how to get you into a state school, much less a private school. So, so we go there. They buy us a single-bedroom apartment. Buy us. They rent a single-bedroom apartment. We just slept in bunk beds. Uh, they paid our tuition, paid for our books, put, put money on our ID card so that we could eat on campus, and we didn't have money to do anything else. Uh, you can ask my wife, and she's in the other room, but when our, one of our first dates, we were going somewhere, and she said something about um, we were going to go out and eat, and I said, well, I have no money. And she, you know, she'd been dating Richard Boys or something, because she said, well, why don't you get something? So I got something, and then when the bill came around, guess what? I didn't have no money. I told her from the front. She couldn't believe it. She was just like, I've got to pay for my boyfriend. Yep, that's the way it is. <laughs> Sorry. We had one car. We had one car that we shared. And I, you know, I'm not trying to paint this picture of poverty. It's just that, that, you know, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, sending two kids is a lot. And so we, did, we had a credit card. That credit card was to put gas in our car to go home on. That was it. Uh, so, so we were there. We've been there about a month. School started. We were just kind of getting used to the, you know, the big city life, 25,000 people. We get a knock on the door. It's a, it's a salesperson person about, about our age, uh, wearing shorts, this is warm, this is September, Texas is warm, uh, standing there with a satchel full of magazines and a clipboard with a pen and a piece of paper on it, he's there to sell magazines to us. We never had a salesperson ever in our life. I mean, I don't think ever. You go to Walmart, there's no salespeople there, you just go and get what you want and you go check out. So that's ever mo truly the most sales I'd ever been around in my whole life was just kind of a Walmart experience. So we have this salesperson at the door, can I come in? Can I talk to you about my, my products? Of course, our answer from the beginning is no, 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 no. We don't have a red cent. I mean, unless you can take my, my student ID and put it down as credit or something, I got nothing to offer this guy. And so, so we couldn't do any of his plans. The plan, of course, once a month you get a magazine, and then, then the plan is every, every two months you'll get a magazine. If you can't do that, then once a quarter you'll get a magazine, and then we couldn't do that. And so, so then he starts going into how his parents have been in a car wreck, and he's the only supporter of their income. <laughs> and his sister has a terminal illness, and please pay for me. I have no other way to support myself. I'm going to starve. He was looking better than us. I'm going to start, you know, all this stuff. We couldn't, hour into it, we couldn't get him out of our house. So what started off as, so, so two things that were, where we were a deficit in was, one, we had never had anybody come to our door to sell anything, and number two, we were trained to be polite. You don't say no to people. I mean, you have to say no, but you, you know, you give them a chance, and then you just say, well, thanks a lot, we'll see you later, and that did not work. 
You couldn't get rid of him. An hour into it, we finally kind of just pushed him outside the door. So we said to each other, never again. So the next person that came to our door, opened the door, somebody standing there in shorts and a clipboard with a bag, we said, listen, we already had a person come by here, and we're not going to say, well, let me tell you about it. And then we found out that if you give them a moment, if you even say something to them at all, that gives them a chance to rebut, and they've got you. And you kind of have to just push them out the door just to get them. Any, somebody, by the way, the last service said, I was a magazine salesman when I was in college, too. No offense. I know you got to live. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just trying to say they were terrible. And so we had to, we had to do aside with all of our congenial upbringing so that if you ever open the door on one of these people, God forbid that you did. If you ever did, though, don't say or ask them anything. Don't be, you can't be polite to them. You just have to open the door. There they are. Nope. Slam the door. Wham. That's the only thing that worked. Otherwise, they have got you. They have got you. You know what I'm talking about. You've been around people like that. Listen, let me tell you something about, we're, don't get distracted from the devil here. He is the best salesperson that there ever was. Slicker than anybody in anything you have ever come across. If you engage him at all, he's got you. Just the fact that he's got you thinking that you can engage him. You're done. You're already done. You, you've got nothing to say. You have no wit. You have no intelligence that he cannot get around. He's got a better offer. He's got a better deal. And he's got a better story. And if you give him any sort of time, he will let you have it. And he will not let you go. You cannot mess with him. Jesus gives an example. Of course, Jesus could have handled him any way he wanted to, but he does not because he's setting an example for us. Here's how you deal with him. Short and sweet, to the point. Any part of the statement is false. The whole thing is, it's over, let it go. It's done. Run, move, go, call somebody. Don't stay by yourself. Don't give him a chance. Such incredible teachings here, I, I really believe. Truly, truly excellent teachings that Jesus has given us an example here of how we're to operate. It's not how he operates. It's really not. He's stooping himself to become like us so we can see an example of how we're supposed to live. I'm going to ask you, please, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has said to us, how dangerous it is for us uh, living in a, in a world where, where such an enemy has that kind of power. But listen, God has not left us without defense. He's given us his word. He's given us instruction. He's given us light. He's given us authority, but it's not ours to operate. It's, it's in him. He's given us the mind of Christ. He's given us the spirit of God. And it's through those, through those avenues, through the Word, through the Spirit, through the things that we're coming across these things as we're seeing. We need to be together. We need to be humble. We need to be short and sweet. We need to be quick about temptation, not mull over it, not think on it, not give it a day, not give it a second. In our lives, as soon as something's wrong, as soon as what we're thinking or believing or the direction we're heading has something false about it, we just need to say, no, no, no. No, no, we're done. God, I thank you for subjecting Jesus to these trials. First of all, to prove that he was the qualified Savior, but also to show us a path of how we're to live. God, I thank you again for sending your son, Jesus, and I thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes upon all those who believe, and that in him we have the way out. 
So Lord, I pray that we would listen to these instructions. We would humble ourselves so that we can hear your voice and follow that way out. Thank you, God, for teaching us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.